In his uh, book, The Nature of Success, Mac Anderson uh, tells about his, his company that he had founded and the highs and lows of that company. From 1990 to 1993, his company's successories um, grew from $5 million in sales to $45 million. He said, we were mailing more than 10 million catalogs annually, and we were on a roll. The simple concept of decorate your walls with great ideas had taken off. You may remember some of these um, things, motivational posters, awards, things like that. You may have seen them in, in locker rooms. Um, it could capture like maybe a basketball goal in the background with a ball on the court and say something like, you'll always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Motivational sayings and, and pictures that capture these things. That's what the successories was all about. And he said, um, everything was going great, and then all of a sudden everything was going wrong. He said, in uh, June, Jim Allison, our CFO, was diagnosed with brain cancer at 47 years old. And because of Jim's illness, software and fulfillment projects critical to our holiday success were delayed. As hard as we tried, we couldn't catch up. The rapid growth had outstripped the company's infrastructure and our ability to manage it. It was every entrepreneur's nightmare. And when the dust settled in January, our losses were significant. For a guy that was in the attitude business, mine was pretty lousy for a couple of weeks. It was branded, branded on my uh, brain forever. He said, I simply refer to it as the fall of 94. So today we're going to uh, start a new series called God at Work. All right. And in these next three weeks, we're going to camp out in the book of Ruth. Uh, we're going to look at God at work in three different ways, okay? This message is going to be God at work in uncertain times. And we're going to look at Naomi's perspective. Next week is going to be God at work in unexpected times. We're going to look at Ruth and her, her perspective. And then the last week, we're going to look at God at work in great times. And we're going to look at Boaz and his perspective. I encourage you to read the book of Ruth. It's short. It's only four chapters long. It's a couple pages. You could read it. Well, unless you've got a huge Bible and it's a study Bible, that may be longer but it's just a couple pages. I encourage you to read it in one setting. It's a great book. And uh, we're going to look at it from three different perspectives on uh, these next three weeks. And uh, all three have great questions that, that, that we as human beings typically want answers to. Uh, Ruth is asking the question, why me, God? Boaz is asking the question, what's next, God? And today what we're going to look at, um, Naomi, she has this question, what now, God? And just like Mac Anderson, Naomi deals with some uncertain times in the book of Ruth, and the sensitive question becomes, what now, God? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? How do I move forward through this pain? How do I begin to repair my marriage? Where's my next paycheck going to come from? When will I land my next job in this struggling economy? What now, God? Throughout this series, we're going to learn that God is in the details of life. He's incredibly interested in how shapeable you are and how shapeable I am. Um, he's, got, he's at work and he's got your best interests in mind. And returning to the Mac Anderson story, what happened there is, he goes on to say in, in, this, in this chapter, help came from Mike Singletary. If you know who, who he is, he's the uh, Hall of Fame linebacker for the Chicago Bears. He's currently the head coach of the 49ers. We've got 49ers fan out here. Mike had joined uh, our board of directors the previous year. He knew I was down in the dumps and walked into my office and closed the door. He said, Mac, we can get through this. 
this is just a bump in the road. You've taken us to $45 million in sales in just three years. And I guarantee you one thing, it didn't happen by accident. As Mike continued to speak, he says, uh, Max says, I could feel the goosebumps. I could feel my spine begin to stiffen. I could feel the belief and the courage returning. It was a pivotal moment in my life. What Mac experienced with Mike, Naomi is about to experience with God, and that is hope. Before we uh, look at these drops of hope found, out, found throughout the, the book of Ruth here, let's read about Naomi's current condition, uh, found in the first five ver- verses of the book of Ruth. So if you turn with me to the book of Ruth, uh, in the Old Testament here, we've got Joshua, Judges, and then the book of Ruth. The time frame of uh, the book of Ruth um, and the, the events that were going on, scholars believe were, were between the time of, uh, in, in the book of Judges, as we, we said, the judges that were leaders over Israel at that time, somewhere between maybe Ehud, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and um, Gideon, all right? And uh, during that time, uh, we'll see the events unfold from the book of Ruth. But basically, uh, Israel had been on a roller coaster ride, all right? Um, they were obeying God, and then they were disobeying God. Obeying God and disobeying God. Um, we even see in the very last verse of the book of Judges, before we get to Ruth, it says, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Sounds familiar today, doesn't it? Do what pleases you today. Do whatever feels good and, and do it. And, and it says Israel had no king. Well, they did have a king. God was their king. But they rejected God as their king. And so... Um, it's no wonder that we see early on in the book of Ruth of what's, what's happening here because Israel has been a mess. And it says in, the, in, in uh, verse 1 of Ruth here, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live a while in the country of Moab. All right, this is, that's not a good thing. Even though, yeah, it may, sounds like a logical, it makes sense, right? I mean, there's no food in the land, let's, let's head over to Moab. But Moab was, was also an enemy of God, weren't they? And um, the relationship between the Moabites and the Israelites was a very strained relationship. And so they head over to Moab. The man's name was Imelech, his wife's name Naomi, who we're going to talk about today. And the names of his two sons were uh, Malon and Kilion. They're uh, Ephraites uh, from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, as we go throughout the story and I go through these different perspectives, we're going to leave out some details that are going to be saved for other um, parts of the series, just so you know. So I'm not going to like, cover every single detail in this book because we're going to cover those in, in different uh, um, sermons later. It says, verse 3, Now Imelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she, le- and, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, which again, this is not a good thing because God <laughs> did not want them to intermarry with other um, nations, and, and the reason is because um, it was more of a temptation to follow their gods and things like that. But nevertheless, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left with her two sons and, or without her two sons and her husband. And so we look right off the bat, we see that uh, Naomi has had it rough, all right? She is now a widow. She has lost her two sons. I mean, she has lost 75% of her family. And can you imagine the pain that she is going through at that time? 
And, and it even goes on to say, and, and really what I love about the Bible is it's so raw and so real. And we see Naomi doesn't just like brush over this, say, yeah, it's all good, you know, I'm fine. Look at what happens in verse 11. Now, the, the, uh, before verse 11, the, the, uh, her, her two daughters-in-law are, are basically wanting to follow her back wherever she goes, back to, um, back to um, her original land. But she's saying, go ahead and stay in Moab. Stay with your family. It's a safe ordeal. Just go ahead. And, and uh, Ruth is one who's determined. We're going to talk about her later next week. But she's like, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to go wherever you go. But Naomi said in verse 11, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons? Just listen to the pain in her voice. Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. And she says this, It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Have you ever felt like the Lord's hand has gone out against you in uncertain times? And so um, what we can learn from, from Naomi right off the bat is something that we've got to remember um, as believers is that always allow hope to outweigh current circumstances. Always allow hope to outweigh current circumstances because circumstances come and go. But hope can remain the same. It must remain the same. There's always hope because there's always God. And the greater hope belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. I was thinking about this week as I I saw, I don't know if you saw the Tiger Woods um, apology on on national television. He went through a a heck of a scandal, didn't he? And and the whole world is looking on and watching what and how how, um, Tiger Woods is going to apologize to the whole world, right? And as he's apologizing, you just, you're just starting to see, man, alive. I mean, the, the whole world is just looking at this guy and seeing the, the, the failures that has gone on in his life and, and how this, at one time, um, great golfer, everyone looked up to, kids looked up to, every corporation's looked up to, everything had just come crashing down. And you see, he was probably at the lowest point of his life at that time. Is there still hope for him? Yeah. You know, but is there even hope even greater found in the Christian? Yes, because you are in Christ. You have hope. There is always hope when you are in Christ. And um, so we see that the lesson that Naomi would learn later on in her life. That, um, but but we see early on, uh, we see a different picture. And some could say, well, who could blame her? I mean, look at her life. She she looks. She's saying, my life is bitter. But let's see these drops of hope in her life that God um, shows up and see that God is at work in her life. The first hope is, is barley, okay? The barley harvest is about to start. We see in, in chapter 2, um, starting with verse 2, um, well, in the very the end of chapter 1, we see that they're, they're heading back and the barley, har- barley harvest is, was beginning, okay? And um, in verse 2 of chapter 2, we see Ruth, who is her daughter-in-law. Now, Naomi is probably too old to go out there and glean in these fields, but, but Ruth, she's vibrant. She's in her 20s. Who knows how old she is? She, she is she's ready to work. And Ruth the Moabite, uh, Moabitess um, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain left behind in whose eyes I find favor. Which there was a law back then that God wanted to, to keep um, uh, intact for, for those that were, were struggling, whether they were... Um, 
uh, uh, where they are widows or whether they are aliens in a foreign land, whatever they may be, been, uh, that, that their needs would be provided for. So, so whenever they did the harvest, they would leave things behind as well so that people could also take that and be well-fed and things like that. So she's picking up the leftover grain, and she's trying to find a field in whose favor she can, she can find. And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. And she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, which we were seeing God at work right now, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Imelech, which we'll get to him later here. And so then we go to, um, to uh, verse 19, and um, she's basically, Ruth has been gleaning all day long, working hard, comes home to her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law asks this in verse 19, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. I mean, she saw how much that Ruth has taken home with her. Her needs are being provided for at this time. We see God at work providing for her needs through this barley harvest, which was going to take place for about seven weeks here. And, and uh, she's like, where is, where, where is all this coming from? Whose field did you end up in? And then we see in verse uh, the remaining verse of verse 19 and verse 20 here. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi about falls out of her chair. <laughs> the Lord blessed him, she says. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. This is huge. Now, I'm going to explain more about what a kinsman redeemer is all about when we get to um, Boaz. But basically, um, um, the family had a responsibility to continue the, the, the name of a person that has been deceased. And so somebody was going to have to, to acquire the land and the widow at the same time. And there was a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. But he wasn't next in line. He was second in line. And there was someone else that was nearer than him that could take that responsibility. We see through a series of events that, that Boaz is able to become the kinsman redeemer and then take um, um, Ruth to be his wife, which we're going to go into detail of this story later. But it's a, it's a great, beautiful uh, love story here. And, and we see that um, God is at work and God is expanding Naomi's family. She had nothing for so long, right? And so all of a sudden now, She's provided with her, her needs being met with the food, with the barley harvest. We see that uh, we see this glimpse of hope with Boaz and now Mary and Ruth and expanding her family. And then it leads to the baby. And here's another um, um, wonderful piece of hope that God is giving her. So we go to uh, chapter 4 now. And, and believe me, we're going to get to some of this um, crazy details later on um, in the coming weeks. But, uh, but we're going to go, skip ahead to chapter 4 here and go to verse 13. And we're going to see God's, um, uh, another drop of hope that God has given um, Naomi here. In verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Now, this is a lot different from when they first came home the first time. Naomi, when they first came home without her husband and without her two sons, but basically had Ruth, um, the, the whole town was in a stir. Could this be Naomi? 
Is this Naomi? She's lost everything. She had it all in the beginning. Now she's lost everything. And she's bringing around this girl from Moab? What is this all about? But now they're praising her. They see God at work. They're excited about what um, God has been doing in her life. And so they praise what God is doing in that, in that time. Then picking up in verse 15, He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, talking about Ruth there, and who is better to you than seven sons, which is a huge statement, has given him birth. Better than seven sons. I mean, that's pretty awesome right there. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The woman living there, uh, the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. How incredible this is that one day she would know that her great-great-grandson is going to be the king of Israel through David. And we see that in the, in the, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And, and we see that God is at work in this, in this woman's life all throughout. She had nothing in uncertain times. When things seemed so bleak, God was still working. God was moving. So God gives her new life. Um, so how do we remain hopeful in uncertain times? I mean, I think that's the big question, isn't it? Number one, and the, the simplest of all these, but the hardest for most of us to do, is to put God first, all right? If you got that down, you can forget the rest of the list because you'll be doing everything else. But if we were to put God first in our lives and, and every single thing, then we would know that we have hope and that God would show us his plan during these uncertain times. Put God first. Put him first in your life and everything. Number two, remember that, remember what is temporal and uh, temporary and what is e- e- um, eternal, okay? Um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an, eterni- an, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I mean, think about it. Anything that, that, that happens in this life is temporary. It's temporary. We have hope. We know that if you, if you have Jesus Christ in your life, that you're going to be spending an eternity with him forever. And so let's not focus so much on what's happening right now and focus on what God's all about, which leads to our next point. Focus on God's promises, not your problems. We focus on God's promises, and uh, you're going to be renewed. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, here's some of his promises. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will happen? He will make your path straight. What about Romans eight twenty eight? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. About 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What about Lamentations 3.21-25? Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Aren't those great promises? Focus on those promises, not on your problems. 
because that will lead to this next thing, and that is this. Live with a hope attitude. There's so many times I see attitudes running about today, and hey, I've been guilty of it as well. Like, woe is me. <laughs> you know, going through all these tough times. I'm struggling so much with all... And, and we get so down and we get, we're, we're, just, we're just down and out and we can't seem to function. We, we, we become depressed. We don't want to get out of bed in the morning. We feel like there's no hope. But if we live with a hope attitude, we, we live by this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. If we look at what's happening around us, our circumstances, just know that those are going to change. But our hope can remain the same in Jesus Christ. Always hope, always hope. Live with a hope attitude. I see those people who live with a hope attitude all the time. They have great attitudes. Like nothing's going to get me down because Satan wants to discourage you. He wants to wreck your life. He wants to steal that joy. But are you going to allow him to do that? There's an enemy behind the scenes, but we have a God that's greater than the enemy. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. God is greater, and in him we have hope. I want to share with you something that something awesome that happened with me this week. Um, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I had sold my uh, my blazer uh, about a month ago, two months ago, something like that. That cursed vehicle. <laughs> you know, I've shared many stories about that thing. Uh, we sold it, and it was so that was great. But what we were doing is we were trying to save up money to buy uh, another used vehicle. Um, we didn't want to get stuck with payments. We've never made payments on a car before. We just wanted to to basically go by the Dave Ramsey plan here. And uh, So we were saving up money, and it was going to take quite a while for us to save up money. We were looking for a van because um, we don't care what style anymore because we're just like, you know, we're parents of two kids now, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as it gets us to point A to point B. Uh, before it would have been like, I want a Hummer, but now it's, it does, I, now, now I'm soccer mom, okay? So it doesn't, you know... So we were really wanting um, a, a van. It, it's tough because, you know, Candace works and, and, and I work at the same time. And, and when we have one vehicle, it's been a struggle to to take her to work and then me to head over here to the office and things like that because she works in Kernersville, and, of course, I'm here in Greensboro. And so anyway, uh, we were just really praying about this. And and um, and just this past week, um, uh, we, uh, we had someone that gave us a van for free. gave us a van for free. Here's the cool thing about all this. God is in the details of life, and that's why we can have hope in him. About three years ago, uh, we wanted to bless a a pastor in our district, Candace and I. We had really prayed about it. Uh, We had a 95 Dodge Caravan that was sweet. I mean, it was in perfect, it was in great condition. only had 85,000 miles on it. We call it the Red Bullet. It was a phenomenal vehicle. Anyway, we were looking to to upgrade to uh, the Blazer. <sighs> anyway, uh, we knew there was a pastor in need in our district. He was um, a bivocational pastor. Um, he had gone. I knew. I known this. Uh, he had gone several weeks in a row without getting uh, paid. It's just that's how much of a struggle it was. And he was working at a gas station. And so what we did was we came to him one day and said, uh, we really feel like God wants us to give you this van. So we gave him that van. Fast forward three years later when we are in need. 
a pastor friend of mine gives me his van. That's a Dodge Caravan. <laughs> it's not red, it's purple. It's ugly, but it's okay. It's good. Do you see God at work? I gave a van to a pastor friend, never told anyone about it. And a pastor friend gives van to me. God is at work even when we don't see him. God is at work in uncertain times. And that's my message to you today. As Wendover Hills is going through this transition, I know it's uncertain. Okay? But God is at work. He's already preparing the next leader to come in here. He's already preparing the next ministry for Candace and I to go to. God is at work in your life. He's at work in your marriage. He's at work in your job. He's at work in your school. God is at work. Don't ever forget that. Sometimes we just need to open our eyes to what he is working at. May that be your hope today and cling to that. I ask Dave to come forward. And um, if you've uh, had a heavy heart this week or, or if you just feel like you just need to, to go to the altar, this makeshift altar here um, on the steps, if something's bothering you or you, you, know, you just need somebody to pray for you, feel free to come forward. Um, as I start to pray, and we'll just have a time of, of prayer and, and um, lifting up our needs to God. Or if you just want to come and praise God for what he's been doing in your life lately, um, come forward as well. Uh, make this a time, a special time between you and God and with your family here at Wendover Hills. Okay? So feel free to come at any time. Um, if you would, bow your heads with me. Allow me to pray for you. Father God, we praise you today. There is none like you, Lord. We know that um, there can be times in our life where we just feel like, Lord, you may be a hundred thousand million miles away from us, Lord, and you just like don't even seem near to us. But you are near. You are in every detail of our life, Lord. You've not forgotten about us. You want what's best for us. You know what's best for us. And you're working in our lives. And I pray, Father God, that we would start to see that. I pray, Father God, that uh, if we're struggling with something this week or this month or this past year, that you would help us to see the hope that we have in you. I pray, Lord Jesus, for Wendover Hills as we continue to transition into this new season of life that you would give this entire church hope and to see what you've already done in our church, which we celebrate, Lord. Just about our entire church is involved in these clusters and these mid-sized missional communities, Lord, where we're going to make a difference in our community, where we're going to make a difference in each other's life, and where we're going to worship you like we've never worshipped you before. And I pray, Father God, that we would just um, stay focused on the important things, the eternal things, Lord, because the rest of this stuff is temporary. And we want to keep our eyes fixed on you, our Savior, our Creator, 
our Lord, our King. Father, help us today. We love you. We praise you. And we're going to continue to worship you all the days of our life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.